Recently, we have been reading a lot of news reports about certain political candidates who fudged on their resume. It seems that they claimed certain experiences or certain um, um, training sessions or employer or employers, uh, some colleges that we, you know, some politicians said we graduated from this college and come to find out they never even attended uh, that college. Kind of like church membership, if you drive by, <laughs> you can claim that you have church membership. Uh, but people started kind of breaking it down, going, wait a minute, you have claimed that you are prepared for leadership because of all of these things in your life. And now we're finding out these things aren't in your life. So maybe you aren't prepared for leadership. In the church, there is a structure, a journey that prepares you for leadership. I like some politicians. There are a lot of us who wish we were and who think they need to be operating at a certain level, at a graduate level of faith. And when in reality, they haven't yet passed the first grade. You see, that's the thing about the kingdom of God. There is no social promotion. And you can be a very tall first grader. Until you learn the lessons. Like Barnabas. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we're introduced to this leader of the New Testament church. Now the entire group of those who believe were of one heart, one mind, and no one claimed any possessions were his own. But instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace was on all of them. Now, there was not one needy person among them, because all who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. Then this, everything was distributed to each person as they had need. Now, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which translated means son of encouragement. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Our church needs Barnabas. And we keep looking around thinking, well, who will be Barnabas for us? Who will be Barnabas to us? Never even considering that it may be us who are being called to be Barnabas to our church. Things really started happening when Barnabas stepped up. We pray that that story will be repeated over and over again because this church will have a lot of Barnabases. And we pray this in your name, amen. 
Uh, some of you are still looking at that passage going, wait a minute, Barnabas' name wasn't Barnabas? No, that was a nickname. Uh, that was what the disciples, the apostles called him because he was one of those guys you always wanted around you. He was one of those guys that always made you feel better. Uh, you were always better looking when you were around Barnabas. You were always stronger. You were always smart, uh, smarter. Barnabas made you feel like a million bucks. You know people like that? That was Barnabas. And it was such a part of his personality that they gave him a nickname. Now, if the church had started in Alabama, his nickname would have been Smiley. But that was Barnabas. Now, we have a story here about how generous the early church was, about how everything was held in common. Please don't mistake this for a government. It's not. It's family structure. Okay? It's not somebody somewhere telling you what to do with your stuff. It's family. If I have it and you need it, then it is yours. Um, it's the boys coming over to our house. They go to two places first. The refrigerator, then my office. And they want to know if I have bought or are reading any new books. Have you bought any new books? What are you reading that's interesting? And they will pull out books from my library and they will take them home. They won't ask, Daddy, do you need this book? They won't say, is it okay if I borrow it? If Daddy has it, I have it and I can take it home. I have learned not to panic when I can't find a book, but to simply make one phone call. I have been over at my son's house and going, oh, I have this book. I love this book. And my son say, it is your book. <laughs> That's the story of the early church. My sons know that. Now, my grandchildren know that. If it's in Big Mike's house, it belongs to them. That's the, church. That's the story of the early church. If I have something you need, it's yours. We're family, we're blood, and families take care of each other. That's the story that Luke is telling us here. But he wants you, wants you to see one thing. He wants you to know Barnabas. Now notice, a lot of people sold land. Some people sold land and houses. We don't have their names. Not everybody sold what they had. Some people did. Barnabas sold a piece of land. His wasn't even the greatest sacrifice. His wasn't even the biggest sale. He wasn't the biggest giver of the campaign. He sold a piece of land. Now, why in the world does Luke make such a big deal out of this? Because there's a lot more to Barnabas' story. Barnabas is, is throughout the actions of the early church. And, he, and Luke knew that sooner or later you're going to be asking, well, who is Barnabas and why is he here? So he wants you to know this story, this very first story where Barnabas passes the first grade. If you want to know how Barnabas got to, to be one of the most influential leaders of the early church, the way you learn that is by the story in chapter four. It's Barnabas who was sent from the, from the church in Jerusalem 
to the church in Antioch. The Christians are being persecuted in Jerusalem, so the Christians scatter. When they scatter, a lot of them end up in Antioch. There's a church formed there of significant strength and influence, and there is a significant movement of the Spirit. So much so, they hear about it in Jerusalem, and they send Barnabas to go out and check it out. Barnabas was a representative of the, of the early church in Jerusalem. It was Barnabas that validated the work in Antioch. It was Barnabas who looked at the, what was going on in Antioch and said, this church needs a teacher. So Barnabas becomes a one-man pulpit committee. And he goes and he finds Paul. Remember in chapter, in chapter 9, Paul is converted. Paul, who had been Saul, who persecuted the church. Now he is Paul, a disciple and a preacher of the gospel. Well, the church doesn't trust him. They hear that the one who persecuted the church is now proclaiming Jesus, and they don't believe him. They think he's just using it as a trick. So the early church kind of keeps him at arm's length. You see, they're a Baptist early in the Bible. <laughs> it's Barnabas who goes to Tarsus and finds him. You need to come with me to Antioch. And it's Barnabas and Paul that are two of the major teachers in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, when the church in Antioch is led by the Spirit to set aside the first missionaries, it is Paul and Barnabas. Who is this Barnabas guy hanging around Paul? Oh, this is the guy in the early, early church. When Paul and Barnabas began to go to the different cities and they encounter people who were raised in the Greek understanding of religion, the people in the town say the gods have come to visit us. There is Zeus and his spokesman Mars. They thought Paul was Mars, the spokesman. They thought Barnabas was Zeus. So Barnabas must have been an impressive person to look at because people thought he was the embodiment of Zeus. They thought Paul leader of the New Testament church, was just Mars, a messenger. It is Barnabas, after the council in Jerusalem. Paul wants to go back and see the churches they have planted. They want to go. Paul doesn't want to take John Mark. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. John Mark had been on the first missionary journey and had failed. Had chickened out, went home. Paul didn't forgive him for that. Barnabas doesn't give up on John Mark. He fights for John Mark to the point that he and Barnabas split, that Paul and Barnabas split. Paul picked Silas, and it is Paul and Silas who are worshiping in the Philippian jail, not Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas takes John Mark, they continue on a missionary journey, and Barnabas disappears from the story. John Mark doesn't. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, please send John Mark to me. 
He is a great comfort, a great encouragement to me. All right, let me get this straight. Barnabas is a son of encouragement. John Mark is now a great encouragement, a great comfort. We think that's how John Mark got to Rome. And we think that when John Mark got to Rome, he became a friend to Peter. And John Mark began to write down Peter's story of Jesus that we have in the first gospel called Mark. Now what happens if Barnabas gives up on John Mark? We may not have the second gospel. And the first and third gospel, Matthew and Luke, well, they would have significant holes in them because Matthew and Luke used Mark as an outline. So what happened? if Barnabas, the son of encouragement, doesn't hang on to John Mark. Wow, what a guy, we say. I would love to be like John Mark. Okay, you want to be like John Mark? You got to go back over here and pass the first grade. You got to learn the first lesson of faith, which is the lesson of generosity. Now, for most of us, the first real test of faith comes when it comes to tithing, okay? You become a Christian, you give your heart to Jesus, you've heard the gospel, you realize how much Jesus loves you, you respond to that by giving your life to him. You're baptized and then you show up in a class, small group and you ask somebody, what do you do next? And somebody says, well, now you start tithing. Oh, what's that? You give 10% of your income, what? I thought this gospel thing was free. Now you want 10%. Why? I know some of you biblical scholars now are kind of cocking your head going, man, don't you know tithing isn't in the New Testament? You're right. It's not. You know where we get it from? We get it from the story of Abraham. Lot is kidnapped by a group of kings. Lot, uh, Abraham rescues Lot. God gives him the victory over these pagan kings. And in celebration of that, when Abraham meets Melchizedek, who is the priest of the Most High God, Abraham celebrates the victory by giving 10% of the spoils of that victory to Melchizedek. That's where we get tithing from. And the reason is when people started joining the church going, now what? People said, okay, where do we, get? okay, here's a great story. Start with 10%. Okay, why? What is the standard of giving in the New Testament? The cross is a standard of giving in the New Testament. You don't kneel in front of the cross and celebrate that you're negotiated 10%. So where do you start? 
you start with the tithe. You start with 10%. Now, when you go home and you start thinking, oh, man, I didn't know this was part of the deal. What am I going to do? And you start thinking about it. Here's the first thing you realize. Our lives are overwhelmed with stuff. Okay? We've got stuff to put our stuff in. Okay? We got garages that we have to rearrange so we can get our cars in. And some of us have given up and we put our cars in the driveway and they just stay outside. We've got storage units because we have too much stuff to keep in our house. Too much stuff. We're paid. You earn a salary. It's put in your bank. All your stuff lines up for their part of your money. A lot of us, our money is spent before we bring it home. Because we are in slavery to stuff. And it's in that moment you realize it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. None of that stuff adds any value to your person. You are created in the image of God. You were paid for in the death of Jesus Christ. There's nothing in the world that can add anything to that. Amen. Then you begin to realize, I don't want to be owned by my stuff. So you begin to let go of some stuff. And in that, you create a capacity to be generous. So that when you're with a friend and they say, hey, it's really tough right now. I'm in between. I got caught. Da, 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 da. I really need $100. You've got it to give. Somebody comes up and they've got a, a surprise car repair. And they need 20 days. You've got it to give. You've got it to support the work of God's, uh, the, the work of God in, in, in the local church. You can tie. We have the resources we need to do what God calls us to do. And it all happens in this very, very first lesson. You learn that Jesus can do a lot more with 90% than you could ever do with 10. Or all 100% of it. And you become free. You become free to go wherever Jesus wants you to go, to do whatever Jesus wants you to do because you're not encumbered by your stuff. When I was doing Cairo several years ago, I was amazed at how fast those single adults could be in an international mission situation overnight. We would have uh, a call to missions. There'd be two or three people going, I want to go on a mission trip. They would take everything they had in their apartment, put it in one cardboard box, leave it with a friend. Next thing you know, they're in Hong Kong. They can go that fast. Philip moves from place to place in chapter 8 when he is preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. 
And all the old preachers would tell you, he lived that lightly that the spirit could carry him with no problems. You and I get hung up in our stuff and because we never get past this first lesson, we're never ready for the graduate courses of faith. We're right here. We're stuck. Jesus never intended for you and me to live in the tyranny of stuff. We get caught in the bigger boat theory of life. You've heard the story, haven't you? Guy goes home and tells his wife, honey, I, I, I just love to fish. All I want to do is I want to fish, and I just need a little boat, a little 14-foot boat, a little aluminum boat. I need a little Evan Rood on the back. You know, I don't need a whole lot of engine, just enough to push a 14-foot boat from this side of the lake to the other side of the lake where the fish go. And you finally talk your wife into get, and you get the boat, and it's the best boat ever. This is the best time you have ever had. You're sitting on the boat, you're fishing. It is your little favorite honey spot, a spot you don't tell anybody about. You're catching fish after fish, and you're so happy until a guy goes by in a bigger boat. What I need is a bigger boat. And at long last, I'll be happy. Nope. First lesson. You're created in the image of God. You are loved so much that he died for you. That makes you rich beyond measure. So rich you can be generous, even like Barnabas, so that you can give your resources if that's what's needed. You can give your time if that's what's needed. You can extend your reputation. Paul got started in his ministry because Barnabas stood up and said, I believe in this guy. Barnabas was in a lot of stuff. That's why Luke wanted you to know. If you want to know where Barnabas came from, if you want to know how he got started, he got started at the end of chapter four, when he learned to be generous. It's the first lesson of faith. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads with me just for a minute. I'm not gonna put you on the spot, not gonna embarrass you at all. Don't wanna do that. I do want you free. I want you free from the tyranny of stuff. We live in a very stuff-oriented community. That was never the way Jesus intended for you to live. In your obituary, they will not list your stuff. They will list people. 
So what is it that keeps you from being all Jesus wants you to be now? Now I know I'm saying a whole lot in just a few words. And you want to know more about this Jesus and what it means to be free of that. Because some of you, when you sat down at the pew, it was only then that you realized how exhausted you are because it's been a dead sprint from Monday to Saturday. We'll be waiting for you in the Welcome Center. We want to pick up this conversation. We want to help you understand who Jesus is, what he's done, even for you this morning. Perhaps it's time to come be part of Brentwood Baptist Church. We'd love to have you in our fellowship. Whatever it is, however Christ has come, he's waiting for you where you are. As our church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open to every heart. So we pray now the choice we make is exactly what